<clears throat> nobody, 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 nobody. Nobody rage short stories. Hi everyone, I'm Jeremy. And I'm Megan. And you're watching Nobody Read Short Stories, where we do short stories. We're done with Cranky Talk, and this is our first new episode for the season. Yeah, so welcome to the season premiere of uh, season three. This is our third season. We're very excited. So and excited. Yes. Uh, so brand new stories all season long. And first up, we have All is Calm in the House on O by Dallas Dorset. All is Calm in the House on O by Dallas Dorset. You're still coming, aren't you? Ellen asked. Crap. I thought as I encountered her on my way toward my room in the back of the Georgetown house on O Street that I shared with Ellen and three other women. I had forgotten all about the silly kids birthday themed party Ellen was throwing that evening in the dining room for Allison, another housemate. Oh yeah, sure, I called out over my shoulder, but I'm not coming in costume, okay? I'm going out later. I had planned to go to a new bar to meet a friend from work who said some Redskins players hung out there. She had her eye on the new running back from Nebraska and had heard he might show up. I climbed the narrow stairs to my tiny rooms above the kitchen of the big house, the former maid's quarters, to which I had laid claim when Julie, my closest friend among the housemates, and I had rented the place a few months ago. We had found the enormous federal-style townhouse by an incredible stroke of luck. When Julie and I decided the one bedroom we were sharing a few blocks away was just too small, Julie called a realtor. The agent took a liking to us and rented us his uncle's house, furniture and all. The uncle, Henry Cabot Lodge, a former Republican congressman, had rented the house to Dean Acheson, Secretary of State a couple of administrations back, but the house had been empty since Acheson had left DC. It was one of those classic Washington DC red brick townhouses with tall, elegant windows and white shutters. Parts of it were built when the good old US was still a British colony. There were three floors in the front of the house, a large dining room of one story separating a two-story section in the back with the kitchen and my maid's quarters. A long, dark and spooky basement that snaked beneath the house contained a washing machine and dryer and access to the street from the back of the house. I had smuggled a few late night or early morning gentlemen callers in and out that way to avoid potential awkward confrontations with another housemate. I dropped my portfolio on the bed and changed out of my work clothes into a mini skirt and my favorite pair of sexy high heel, high knee high boots, sexy knee high boots. I perused my closet for the right top, something that wouldn't look too slutty for the dumb birthday party. I put on a black push-up bra and a low-cut, scoop-necked, dark blue knit pullover with long sleeves. After scrutinizing myself in the mirror, I added some black eyeliner and fluffed up my long, dark hair, which I considered my best feature, smoothing the flip and finishing with hairspray. After a final check in the mirror, I grabbed my purse and clomped back down into the now-bustling kitchen. Hey, Darlene! Julie was stirring a pot of spaghetti sauce on the old gas stove that dominated one side of the oversized kitchen like a crouching giant. Hey yourself, I answered. What's cooking? We're having spaghetti and salad. Do you have any more olive oil? I ran out. Sure, I'll get it. 
I walked into the spacious pantry that separated the kitchen from the dining room and opened one of the cabinets. Each shelf contained duplicates of almost everything from bread to soup. After many a hassle, the roommates had finally decided that separating groceries, while it might not be very economical, was essential to peacekeeping. I grabbed a half-empty bottle of olive oil and carried it into Julie. I leaned over the pot Julie was stirring. Smells great. You make it from scratch? Julie had been on a pasta-making tangent lately. Often I would find strips of pasta dough hanging all over the kitchen. Thus scratch pasta, scratch pasta sauce. Yeah, what do you think? Julie lifted a spoonful for me to taste. I think it needs something. Tastes okay to me, I shrugged. Julie shrugged, took another taste, and frowned. Oh, well, good enough, I guess, Julie sighed. You see Sherry when you came in? Some friends of hers have come in for the demonstration this weekend. They were in the den watching the news. Oh, that's right. There's that huge anti-war thing tomorrow. Maybe I'll go down to the mall and get some pictures. Are they crashing here? I picked a piece of lettuce out of the mixed green salad standing on a counter nearby in a wooden bowl, popped it into my mouth, and began to chew. I think so. They all brought sleeping bags, so I guess they'll be camping out in the living room. Are you going? I mumbled. Where? Julie replied. To the demonstration? I don't know. A couple of people at work said they might. They're going to call me before if they decide to go. Julie's master's degree in art history from Radcliffe, along with her all-American good looks and manners, had landed her a prestigious job at the Smithsonian Institute, where she considered grant proposals. Because of her conservative Republican upbringing in Illinois and her Eastern liberal Ivy League education, she was often conflicted over politics. Julie and I had met a couple of years ago at, of all places, church. On the same Sunday, we had gone to check out a small historical church in Georgetown. We started talking during the fellowship after the service and, despite our different backgrounds, found out we had common interests and hit it off. Because of her Ivy League education, Julie was more knowledgeable about government and politics than me. I grew up in a college town in Oklahoma, and because my parents couldn't afford the Ivy League schools and I managed to somehow blow my chances at a scholarship, I ended up going to college in my hometown. OU was rated number one in the nation in football and had made the top 10 list as a party school in the Playboy Magazine annual poll so many times it was given a permanent spot. Besides that, as an art student, government classes had bored me seriously and I didn't seem to have absorbed much information that stuck with me. With all that, it was ironic I ended up in DC. However, the current turmoil in the country was really starting to get to me, particularly because I kept hearing news reports and seeing the pictures coming from Vietnam. I was becoming more opposed to the war and beginning to fear for my brother, an army lieutenant stationed in Saigon. Out of curiosity, I had gone to a few demonstrations recently, but mainly to watch or take pictures. I didn't have the guts to join the chanting or carry a sign. I usually went late and left early. Enough of that heavy stuff, I decided, and turned my thoughts to the night's activities. I promised myself I was going to have some fun no matter what and leave the protesting to my housemate, Sherry, and her friends. Ellen swept into the kitchen with the last of the glass crystals from the chandelier she was cleaning in the dining room. Whew, I don't think that chandelier has been cleaned since the revolution. I admire your industriousness, Ellen, I chided. I squinted at the crystals Ellen was drying. Oops, I think you missed a spot. 
Oh, shut up, Darlene. She snatched the crystals away and returned to the dining room to put them back in the chandelier. I followed her to watch as she struggled with the ladder, climbing to reach the light fixture. A phone sounded from nearby. Well, don't just stand there. Answer it, Ellen grumbled. I'm a little occupied at the moment. I found the ringing phone under some dirty dust claws and picked up the receiver. Hello? I listened a moment, then held the receiver out for Ellen. It's for you, some guy named Mike. Ellen's face lit up in a broad grin. She climbed down from the ladder, took the receiver, picked up the handset, and moved through one of the French doors that opened from the dining room outside into a grapevine-covered brick patio. I can't believe it. You guys are here? Wow. That'd be far out. Yeah, come on over, she blurted. Curious, I hovered nearby. Ellen waved me away. But, she continued, I have to tell you we're having this surprise birthday party for Allison. Julie perked her head out of the dining room and pointed to her watch. I have to go, Mike. Allison's about to get home and I have to keep her out of the dining room until it's ready. Bye. Ellen hung up the phone and followed after Julie with me close behind. You won't believe this, Ellen called to Julie. You remember me telling you about Mike, one of my old boyfriends from high school who's in the Navy? Julie looked miffed. No, Mike? Well, anyway, Ellen continued, he's on leave this weekend and he's in town tonight with a friend. He's really a nice guy. You'll like him. I told him to come over for the party. He knows Allison. They were in some of the same classes in high school. Okay, Julie replied. The more the merrier, I guess. Julie and Ellen gathered up a bag of birthday balloons, streamers, toy horns, and party favors, carried them to the dining room, and began placing them about. Determined to avoid more birthday silliness, I went to check in with Sherry and her anti-war protester contingent of three long-haired, bearded men and two women in the den, watching coverage of the weekend's planned war protest on our small TV. Sherry and her friends were dressed in variations of slogan t-shirts, army surplus and camouflage prints, and their well-used backpacks were strewn about the room. On the TV, the mother of a young Marine who had recently been killed was speaking passionately before a large group of protesters camped outside Washington. She's amazing, Sherry offered, eliciting a few mumbled assents. The woman finished speaking, the commentator came on, and then the station went to commercial. Is anybody going to the party? I asked, to blank stares. Sherry got up from the floor where she'd been sitting cross-legged in the small, crowded, and emotionally charged room and spoke up over the group as they talked amongst themselves. Can't. We're going to a meeting tonight, and we have to be at the Washington Monument by six in the morning. Have fun, though. I already gave Allison her present. Crap, I thought. I forgot to get Allison a present. Then I remembered an unopened bottle of booze in my grocery shelf. That would suffice since... In spite of being her gentile, in spite of her gentile southern upbringing, Allison was a big time boozer. She and Ellen were from Kentucky, after all. Okay, see you guys later. I called out to Sherry and the protesters. On my way back towards the pantry to retrieve the Canadian club, I snatched some ribbon from the table while Julie and Ellen weren't looking, and when I reached the kitchen, tied it around the neck of the bottle. Perfect. The pace picked up around the house since the guest of honor was due home in half an hour. A couple of Allison's friends from her job at the World Bank showed up right on time. I think she knows you cooked up something, one of them said. Ellen was so proud of her entertaining skills that she never had kept it to herself. The only reason I had agreed to go along and keep quiet was the promise of cake 
and ice cream. I found a lone cold beer on my side of the shelf in the fridge and popped the top. Thank God for Friday. My week had been worse than frustrating at work. The design firm I worked for had contracts with government agencies, and for the most part, the work was interesting and fun. Newsletters, graphics, logos, posters, and ads. For the newly formed environmental agency, NOAA, the State Department, Treasury Department. But now, with the war heating up, it seemed like I'd ended up doing a lot of crappy DOD stuff. I even had to get a security clearance, which, from what I could tell, didn't amount to much. I hated doing the presentations and charts, charts, charts. I was becoming the queen of charts. I took a long swig of my beer and went into the empty living room where I could be alone for a few minutes and wait for the party to start. I figured I'd hang out until 9.30 or so and then go out. Things didn't get going at the clubs until after 10 anyway. The living room was the largest room in the house, and you could almost feel the ghosts of grand and important people from America's history standing nearby or passing through from time to time. It was a long rectangular room with high ceilings and two fireplaces placed symmetrically along one wall. At one end of the room, windows looked out on the street. On the other, tall doors opened to the patio. When the roommates had large parties, these doors would be left open for guests to wander freely between the dining room and living room. The house was ideal for entertaining. I sat on a rose satin antique armchair. The room was dimming in the twilight, and as it was early September and still warm and muggy in D.C., there was no need for fires in the fireplaces. It was a comfortable room, in spite of its formality, and it would be put to use tonight, sheltering the war protesters across the hall. I couldn't help wondering what the ghosts would think. I had just begun to relax when the doorbell rang. I'll get it, I called out, knowing that the revolutionaries in the den were too busy conspiring to overthrow the government and the other roommates were too far away. I opened the door to two blindingly handsome U.S. Navy officers in dress whites. One of the officers held out his hand and introduced himself as Mike, a friend of Ellen's, and his friend as Brad. Suddenly, feeling all warm and dumb from the man-in-uniform effects, I let them in, told them they could drop their stuff in the living room, and directed them toward the back of the house, where Ellen and Julie were putting the finishing touches on the party and sipping cocktails. The party had begun. Allison arrived a few minutes later and wandered into the dining room to find her surprise party already in progress. Ellen and Julie had gone up to their rooms to change into their costumes, and I was left in charge as hostess in the interim, handing out drinks and appetizers. Allison, her two friends from work, and the two naval officers were getting pleasantly lit by the time Ellen and Julie returned. Julie had tied her shoulder-length light brown hair into doggy ears with red and white checked ribbons and was wearing a matching pinafore with white knee socks and flat-heeled black shoes. Ellen was wearing a red jumper over a polka dot shirt and looking equally ridiculous. They greeted the naval officers with hugs, and I thought the whole thing was at least kinky, if not perverted. Fortunately, Brad and Mike were being good sports about it, and Ellen and Julie were well under the influence not to care. Bring on the food so I can get away from here, I thought. The meal started out well enough. Pleasant conversations, good manners. I soon learned that hunky Brad and cute Mike were just in D.C. for the weekend, and had to get back on duty Monday. Bummer. I wish I wasn't always attracted to muscular, macho hotshots like them. 
but I couldn't shake my Western roots enough to find the intellectual sensitive types attractive. The spaghetti sauce was a hit. Several bottles of red wine accompanied dinner. Finally, the birthday cake was brought in with many candles ablaze and as required by tradition, happy birthday was sung badly, the candles blown out, cake cut and served with a choice of three flavors of ice cream. Ellen, now completely drunk and the house joker, picked up a spoonful of cake and flipped it at Allison, yelling, food fight! Allison, of course, retaliated, and that was my signal to depart the scene. Brad and Mike also retreated into the living room to change out of their pristine white uniforms before returning to the party. I grabbed my purse and saluted the two men as I cruised by them on my way out of the house. As I passed by the den, I made eye contact with Sherry, who was mobilizing her group to leave for their meeting. Sherry made the crazy gesture and pointed toward the dining room, and I nodded in agreement as I went out the door. I was determined to have some fun tonight, forget about work, my dopey roommates, and especially the war. Because I was the only housemate with a car, I was able to park in the house's small single car garage. I squirmed my way into the driver's seat and maneuvered my 1968 metallic blue Pontiac GTO convertible out of the garage and drove a few blocks to a fancy new club on M Street. I found a parking spot nearby and made my way to the door. Inside, I found my friend Joan from work, sitting at the bar surrounded by tall, ruggedly looking men. She introduced me and one of the guys offered to buy me a drink. Off to a good start, I thought, and after a little conversation, it was confirmed that some of these fine young men were indeed members of the Redskins football team out for an evening of recreation before Sunday's game with the Dallas Cowboys. The evening accomplished my goal for the next few hours, focusing my attention on dancing, drinking, and laughing, and even the offer of a hookup from one of the cutest, funniest, and hottest members of the group. I passed, but gave the guy my number anyway. It was going to take a lot of effort at this hour to sober up enough just to get back home, let alone be alluring in bed, I thought. I drove back to the O Street house, wondering how the party had turned out and whether the protesters were back. The house was quiet and dark. It was after 2 a.m. When I entered the front hallway, I could see sleeping bags on the floor and living room, illuminated by the moonlight coming in the front window and hear the sound of soft snoring. Making my way as quietly as possible through the house and around the party detritus to my stairs, I felt a wave of a strong emotion I didn't recognize. I understood that somehow it related to the protesters, the Navy officers, the bar, the housemates, and what my place was in it all. That was it, I thought. How did I fit into all that was happening around me and in the world? What role was I to play? Would anything I did matter? The protesters were trying to make change in policy. The Navy men were defending the country. What was I doing? I pushed the feeling away, writing it off to the booze. I climbed my stairs and dropped into bed, passing out before my head hit the pillow. In the morning, I woke with a hangover, par for the course after partying all night. I dragged myself up, threw on some fresh clothes, and headed downstairs to the kitchen for a glass of juice or whatever I could find that would rehydrate me and take the edge off. In the kitchen, Ellen, Julie, and Mike were making breakfast and drinking Bloody Marys and screwdrivers. They were laughing at Mike, who was in the middle of a story. Ellen waved me over. Darlene, hey, 
listen to this. Go on, Mike. Mike continued. So Sherry's friends holds out a joint and tells me and Brad that he promises none of their folks will knife us in the night just for serving in the army. And we're welcome to crash next to them in the living room for the night. We woke up this morning. They had all left for the demonstration and we're still alive. Ellen and Julie cackled and sipped from their drinks. I groaned. Way to go. I poured myself a glass of juice. Then I raised my fingers in a peace sign, which the other three gave back to me. Peace, my brothers and sisters. We lifted our glasses in a toast. Glancing at Mike, Ellen said, I'll drink to that. There was a moment of silence as the four of us sipped from our drinks and pondered the words of the toast. It was me who finally spoke. Guess I'll get my camera, go over to the mall and take some pictures. Sherry told me the cops might use tear gas. The end. Megan, good read. Thank you very much. Thank you. So um, we're going to set Cranky for three minutes. While Megan's cranking Cranky, if you like this story, please like and also leave a comment for the author. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We already got um, one like, which is really awesome. All right. Go down. Yeah, thank you all. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I I really gravitated toward this story because um, I love how it's like this slice of life story. And, uh, you know, I remember at this sort of comparable time in my own life, like, you know, you're at parties and things are happening, but there's not, they're also like not happening. And it's just like one thing kind of melding into another. And there's, you know, you can always have this feeling of things happening around you that you feel the weight of, but you aren't sure how to engage with them. And um, it, it makes me also think about like the things that we've gone through in the last year and how we can all feel very insular in our own lives, but we know that there are other things going on and we feel the, feel the weight of them. And I think Dallas just captured that to me, that, that feeling just spot on. Yeah. It, the word that comes to me for this story is confluence. Like, right. It, mm -hmm. That's where everything like merges together. Yeah, so it's yeah. interesting because the story, all the action is happening outside of the character. Usually the character is the person acting the story. You know, they're the mm -hmm. hero taking the journey <laughs> and this person, this protagonist is just watching everyone else take the journey. And then you right. have that moment at the end, which I really like where she's like, maybe, maybe I will do something, you know? Yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's what I like about it is I feel like throughout the entire story, she's, she's almost like kind of pushing herself away from what's happening. You know, she's, she's sort of talking to the protesters and she's sort of participating with the Navy guys. And she's, you know, she's just dabbling in the things that are happening around her and she's, ruminating on everything and she's I, I always got the feeling that she's keeping her distance and then at the end like you mentioned she has this nice moment where it's like okay I'm actually going to do something like that's the really the first moment in the story where she really decides like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna do something that's not just kind of go with the flow yeah I think that's a really interesting and brave choice because Oh, absolutely. I would be scared. I'd be like, nothing's happening in this story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I and I think that's what's um, compelling about it to me is that uh, it it kind of takes you know in so many of our writing classes and when people are giving you advice, it's so mm -hmm. much like plot driven. Mm -hmm. And this is this is such an introspective story, even though it's so much about 
things that are happening, uh, but they're happening around her, as you as you mentioned. So it's very different than um, than a story I think that that most people would come across. Also, she has a skill of like painting the house. Like I would be super interested to see a picture of the house and see if it, you know, measures up to what I see in my head. Oh, we got you. Woo, Megan oh. did her little jump. I was, I was all up. into it. Um, <laughs> so yes, I agree. I love how the, I just want to finish that thought and say that I love how the house is like a character in this, in this story. So before we, we have Dallas here tonight, but before we bring her so in, I just want to um, read you guys um, a bio. She has a very long bio and I tried Listen, to- Listen, it's not it. just long, it's good. <laughs> so Dallas was like, you can cut things if you want, but like once you hear this, you'll understand why we did not. She's such a fascinating person. So yeah, so hold on to your hats. Um, so Dallas Dorset is a playwright and screenwriter living in Los Angeles. She made a career in graphic design and in San Francisco in 1975, Dallas met her late husband, James Mathers, an actor who inspired and supported her as she tried her hand at playwriting. Since then, she has written numerous full-length and one-act plays, many of which have received productions and staged readings in Los Angeles and New York, including Glass Walls, which was chosen for the Stella Adler Sundays at Seven new play reading series and was the winner of Plays for a Better World International Contest. That's just one of many. In 1990, she and James moved to Los Angeles from New York, where they had several screens plays optioned by Fox and other studios. She also worked in new media with projects such as Glove Puppet Playhouse and LA Nightmares. Dallas considers herself a writer of scripts as opposed to prose, which she believes requires the ability to describe feelings and behaviors that can thankfully be left to actors in a screenplay <laughs> or play. She has not written many short stories, but has one published recently. Firstborn appears in The Storytellers, a book of stories written by veterans and their family members, which came out in 2017. Alice is delighted to be selected by Nobody Reads Short Stories, and we are delighted to have Dallas we're here. We're so delighted. All right, let's bring Dallas in. The amazing Dallas. Promise <laughs> she's not a dark screen. She's about to show up. Oh my goodness. Are we having sure. some Drum roll, I'm, I'm rolling the drum. Are we having some technical difficulties with that? Uh oh. This again. Here she goes again. You know what? Uh, Dallas, try coming out of the thing, like uh, leaving the studio and then coming back in. Megan, we're just gonna keep talking. Yeah, let's just keep uh, let's just keep talking about um, Dallas. So previous <laughs> do that. Oh, actually, this is a perfect time. We had people already leave comments, which is wonderful. So I'll go through those oh, yeah. real fast. Absolutely. So Mark says, good ma good material, well-read. Megan, good job. You did a great job. Oh, and thank then, you, Mark. <laughs> then Maureen says, great writing, Dallas, and reading, Megan. Megan has yeah. it right. Often we live in our smaller lives with larger things occurring around us. It is often difficult to know how to engage in those larger issues. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that um, sometimes stories about that, like, kind of softer, passive struggle that we go through, it can be really interesting. You know, there's a lot of stories about, um, you know, people kind of taking up the torch and being like, I'm going to be the leader and I'm going to do yeah. the thing. But that's a really hard thing to do. And that's not everyone's story and everyone's journey. And 
Um, so I, I like to, to hear stories about people who aren't quite as bold, not, not less brave, but just maybe not quite as bold in that same direction. I also loved, by the way, I'm glad that we have more time for the cranky talk because I also love the food in it that like you're just going through room and <laughs> after room and I, it was just really fascinating to me. Robin says, we know Robin, she's going to actually be on our show, which is really Hi, exciting. Robin. She says, love this story so beautifully captured, captures the time and place and personalizes it in such a poignant way. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that she mentioned that it captures the time and place. Like I sure does. I, even though it's set in the 70s and um you know, obviously I wasn't alive at that time. I didn't live through everything that that Dallas lived through, but I still resonate. I still resonated with this with this person. You know, I was still like, "Oh yeah." Well, I mean, this is really, I almost made up a word there. I'm glad I didn't, but like, I almost <laughs> made resonate like a, a weird verb. But um, like now, now the time we're living in is very much a similar dynamic where so many crazy, horrible things are happening at the same time. Mm -hmm. And we are witnessing it, you know, we're yeah. in our houses witnessing it, which is. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um... So any word on, I? it, it seems like maybe we won't be able to get No, Dallas we will. On. I feel yeah? it, I feel it in my bones, yeah. <laughs> Dallas is just teasing us. She keeps clicking in and clicking back uh -huh. out. She wants to build the anticipation in this. Oh, I see, I see. Okay, this is what, this is what Dallas does. Um, so Dallas, just to give you guys a little bit of background, Dallas is one of the members of uh, writers group that um, Jeremy and I participate in, participated in. And uh, so we were familiar with her work and um, Dallas has such a wonderful way of, of keeping you in suspense and her, <laughs> in her screenplays and in her plays. So and her life. Like and like, her life in general. In writer's group, what's great about Dallas is she keeps her notes to other writers to one sentence, but anytime she gives you a note, you can see people's pencils going in hand and they're like, oh, I'm actually gonna write this this note down. Yeah, like Dallas is one of those people who hardly ever gives notes, but then when she gives notes, everybody's like, they're like on the edge of their seats being like, what is Dallas gonna say? I know it's gonna be good. And she usually just has like a golden little nugget that helps you. All right, so, so listeners, we're gonna have a Peter Pan moment right now. Oh, we didn't need a Peter Pan moment. There she is, this is Dallas. Yes, yes. Dallas. I hope you can hear me, can you hear me? Yes, yeah, here you. <laughs> Wonderful, Dallas. welcome, Dallas. Freezing up on me. You guys are going in and out. I guess it's the internet. Okay, well, we can hear you and we can see you. Yeah. So let's um, let's get into it while we me? have you. Yes. Yes. Um, can you? You can hear us. Oh, this yeah, is we'll this is to, gonna be fun. Okay. I'll have to go so, out again, I guess. No, 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 stay, stay. Have to go out. Stay here, stay, stay. I don't I'm think you can call hear her. Me. This is this is the most exciting thing ever. If you guys are getting a kick out of this right now, make sure to like this video. <laughs> so we're actually gonna call Dallas. Man, Dallas, you have us all at the edge of our seat. Okay. So here we go. Dallas, Jeremy's gonna call you. Do you have your phone? I'm calling her. Pillow talk time. Yeah. Let's see if we can get 
Malice on the phone. I hear it. This is what happens when you do stuff live, guys. Sure. You just gotta kind of roll with it and... Hey, Dallas, this is such a weird coincidence. I'm talking to a <laughs> Dallas on Nobody Read Short Stories right now. <laughs> Help, hey, Dallas. So we have a few questions for you. I'm gonna put you on speaker. Hold on, let's see if this works. Dallas, say hi. Too. Is that okay? Yeah, it sounds great. So Dallas, I'm so Dallas, I'm so grateful we got to see your pretty face. Well, I, I think my uh, internet connection was fading out for some reason. That's the first time it's ever happened like that. Oh, yeah, okay. That's, um, that's what happens, you know, because you're doing something live for the first time. <laughs> it's going to be the time that things get a little wonky, but that's okay. The messed up thing was it was perfect during rehearsal, but that's how it happens. And actually, I think this is kind of more fun. Oh, uh, for me, I was really enjoyed. I just enjoyed the reading so much. Yay! I Dallas, so we have Dallas. a few questions for you. Megan, do you want to give your first question? Uh, yeah, Dallas, could you tell us a little bit about what inspired the story? What inspired you to write it? Yeah, Dallas, what inspired the story for you? Well, it was actually something that, that happened to me while I was living in D.C. The, it's, the story is, is quasi-autobiographical. Uh, but uh, I really did live in that house. And uh, I did know those people. Their names were all changed. And the, the events may not be in sequence exactly, but I do remember vaguely that event, but I just couldn't, I wanted to fictionalize it because I wanted to add something to it, more more to it than just the day. I like that. What, what did you want to add to it? Do you know, was it just a feeling? Yes, the feeling, and you were talking about it a little bit earlier, the feeling of her being outside of the events of the world, um, being kind of uh, separated from it and, and aimless, but still being able to see it right there in her, you know, very close proximity. Dallas, what was it about this particular night that captured you? I mean, I, I get the feeling that this is a house that had many parties and many people coming in and out. Uh, such as this evening. What was it about this evening that made you want to write about it? Dallas, what was it about this evening that made it you made you want to uh, portray this this part of the story? Well, it was the the times. I think that what the the turmoil in the country and the the fact that she was living her in her own little bubble and. Uh, that these things were just, you know, forcing themselves, forcing her to look beyond her own bubble, mm -hmm. beyond her own sphere of, of interest, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where it was coming from. That's really interesting. And going off of that answer, was there, since she's kind of uh, a piece of you, once you finished the story, did you have an aha moment for yourself? 
Well, I, I think, yes, I did. I, I had always thought that that event was somehow uh, momentous in, you know, in some way. And uh, I wanted to, I wanted to, Dallas, let's try something really fast. Can you talk really fast? What? All right, we can hear you on the screen. You can hear me on the screen? Yes. Oh, okay, I've got, I've got you guys now. I'll hang okay, on. Okay, I'm going to hang up on this Dallas now that we have our Dallas. There. Hi, Dallas. <laughs> I Welcome back in person. Because I have the picture. Yes, oh, the timing. This is the oh, picture wow. of the house. Oh, my gosh. That is gorgeous. Oh, so wow. For those of our listeners, Dallas is holding up. Um, it looks like a watercolor of um, a watercolor, a watercolor of the three-story um, brownstone that they lived in in uh, or red brick, call it. Yeah. red brick townhouse. Excuse townhouse. me, red and brick townhouse. Three stories in front, and then two in back, just like yeah. I described it. <laughs> It's so it's so beautiful, and I think you did such a wonderful job of um, capturing the essence of the house in the story. Like I love how the house is like a is like another character in in the story, and you can see yeah, just that's how the main great. thing I wanted to, because it played such a big part in my life at that time. Mm -hmm. How long and did you live there? Probably about four years, I think, three and a half, maybe four yeah. years and I went through a lot of different times in my life in and, the house uh, yeah and the the women that were there were all such overachievers <laughs> <laughs> and I was I was this girl from Oklahoma who didn't know much oh I love that and <laughs> I only knew what a few things I knew football and I knew art but I didn't know much else. And I certainly wasn't the right person to be in Washington, D.C., but I learned. <laughs> I learned quickly. Dallas, you and, said... Uh, I, I really met wonderful people. Uh, speaking of the wonderful people you met, Dallas, you shared with us outside of the show that you went back to the house with some of your friends from the house, right? Yes, that uh, watercolor was a... a I guess a favor. One of the roommates uh, asked a, a friend of hers who was a painter to do these individual watercolors for each of us. And mm. so we each got one that was a little bit different. Oh, that's and it cool. was the house. And it was just, it was great memento, I thought. And we had a good time. It was fun. It was about a 10 year anniversary. I think it was, uh, we were there in 60. I guess 67, 68, 69, 70. And uh, I was there in Washington from the um, uh, LBJ to Nixon's, uh, to Watergate. Wow, and what an incredible through. time to be in DC. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was. Dallas, you we, need to write more stories about that time. We wanna hear them. <laughs> yeah, there's images there are some images that I have of um, of Washington at that time one stands out is 
after the riots, after Martin Luther King was shot, uh, I mean, uh, it, the place was rioting and burning and they had the, the uh, National Guard troops with tanks patrolling the streets mm. in DC um, to keep, you know, there was a curfew and there were tanks. And I remember standing on my street on O Street, looking down to the end of the street, and there was a tank <laughs> in Georgetown. Oh my gosh, wow. And, and no people, you know, and I think, gosh, what would we think today? You know, mm. I mean, it's bad enough what happens today, but imagine tanks on the street corner. Oh boy. Mm. I can't. That's just, that's so surreal. Wow, what an amazing it was image. Very surreal. It was a Ray Bradbury moment. <laughs> Yeah, in real life. Wow, that's that's so powerful. Well, Dallas, I definitely hope that you will write more stories and send them our way so that we can hopefully showcase more of your work here on uh, Nobody Read Short Stories. So before we go, do you have anything else you'd like to say? I'd just like to thank you so much for choosing my story to read. I don't really consider myself a, a writer of prose. Um, it's so much harder than screenplays for me because I have to write description and I'm not I don't consider myself I need more training in that more schooling well you did a um, wonderful job but, Dallas but I I love this I like this story a lot because of the the era that it portrays and uh, and I wanted to share it and I really appreciate you selecting my story to be read. And thank you for the read, Megan. It was a wonderful job. Oh, thank you, Dallas. I'm so glad that that you're pleased and, and we were happy to, to showcase your story. So thank you so much for having us and thank you for um, hanging in there and, and through all <laughs> of the technical out. issues. <laughs> You all, you you missed some fun. Dallas was like <laughs> doing some jump rope in and out of Nobody Reads. Like, gonna, we can see her trying so hard to get in. Look at the recording to see what you said about me. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't do it. Don't do it, Dallas. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you again, Dallas. Thank you. Bye, Bye. Dallas. We love you. Bye. Yay, that was so great. I'm so, uh, I'm so glad that, um, you know, we've learned here at Nobody Read Short Stories that sometimes you just have to pivot with a live show and with technology. There's always a chance that things can go a little weird. So oh, I think- uh, really weird. Thank you, Jeremy, for jumping on the phone really quickly. That was very smart. As Robin said, nice save, Jeremy. Um, I couldn't agree more. Um, it's fun. Like that's why you're, that's why you're tuning in right now. The five people that are tuning in right now, right? You want to see something happen that's a little out of the ordinary. Well, you got it. That's why we do it live because we like we like to to see. You know, we both come from a theater background, and so we like sort of having the the fun that comes with having to pivot and having to cover and uh, speak on our feet. And I feel like you know they should we should be hired to like do the ball <laughs> drop down or something, right? And like if when you have to fill space, we're we're perfectly capable, right, Jeremy? We can deal with all of it. And you know, just a shout out to our producer, Mark, because oh yeah, at the beginning of our seasons, when stuff like this happened, he would be like this. 
today he was just like, oh, it's happening again. We're good. <laughs> For our like, listeners, Jeremy just made like a bug eyed kind of like scary face, which is the face that Mark used to make when things went wrong. And now Mark is a seasoned um, theater participant and knows and is a cool and calm and collected stage manager back there pulling all the levers, which we really appreciate that. So thank you, Mark. Thank you, Jeremy, for giving him that shout out. Uh, right. So if you, if oh, you no, haven't no, already, uh, stop interrupting me. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> so if you haven't already, please go to our YouTube page and like and subscribe. Please leave a note for Dallas. Let her know what you thought of the story and how you connected to it. Um, authors love to hear how people are responding to their work, so please don't be shy. If you haven't already subscribed to our podcast, please click the little bell that is um, below the YouTube video. And once you're subscribed, you will get a um, notification every time we have a new video so you won't miss any of our stories. And let your friends and family know that we're back with short stories so that YouTube allows us to have viewers again. <laughs> That's right. Tell your friends and family and everybody that you know who loves uh, audio books and audio short stories that we're, that we're up and we're running and we're here to entertain you with a short story every Monday for the duration of the season. And then we also have social media. So we have Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and our Twitter handle, I get this wrong sometimes. Are you, are you ready for this, Megan? I'm ready. Hashtag NRSS podcast. Is that correct? Good job. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. you. The, today's right. just the day of good jobs. That's right. That's right. We're just patting each other on the back. Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations. Good job. Good job. Uh, so you can check out all of our previous episodes on nobodyreadshortstories.com. You can also find all our wonderful merchandise there. So we, believe it or not, we have leggings, we have socks, we have foam cases, we have shirts, we have hoodies, we have pillows, which Jeremy is holding up right now. He funny enough, back. pillows are our main sell. And I, it's not funny enough, it's the only thing we show on the show. I, I think we need to show other merchandise. I think people would be into it if we showed other merchandise, probably. Um, we will do that. So eventually. we will do that. Um, but anything in purple and black and orange and white that you can imagine uh, is most likely on our merchandise website. So uh, speaking of websites, Megan, you have one of those. I do. I have a website. It's MeganAMorrison.com. Uh, you can check out all of my individual projects there. And if you sign up for notifications, you will get an alert every time I have an update. Jeremy well, has a website have so too. many updates too. Oh, she, she's like, she's, this is her year. 2021, bring it. I do also have a website of my own. It's jeremyraystories.com. I almost said a random website that is not mine. I don't know why. <laughs> I just want to lie to people today. So, so yeah, if you subscribe to me, you will get a micro story every week and you'll hear about the things I'm working on. Yeah, excellent. So... I think that's it. Before you so go, too. I just want to make sure that everybody comes back next week. We have a very exciting story um, by an Italian writer named Kayla Demer. She's amazing. Like amazing. We already pre-recorded her interview because she's from Italy. You have to stay tuned. She's such a cool person. 
Yeah, so I want to give everybody like a logline of her story. Yes. Um, it's a sci-fi story. And so it's Mandarin, year 2456. Young trainee Dragan Kosit, on the eve of his final exam, must face both corporal desires and long ignored fears with antithetical results. So be sure that you come and uh, check that out next week. It's going to be great. And Kayla gives a fantastic interview uh, from Rome. Uh, so you don't want to miss that. It's amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. Make sure you come back and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. No one reads short stories anymore. I really don't know what they're written for Go write a short story and throw it out the door Cause no one reads short stories Funny, sad, or gory No one reads short stories anymore Yes, no one reads short stories